Hi. Thank you for listening to this message brought to you by First Baptist Church. Here at FBC, it's our mission to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ, and we hope that this message helps you continue to grow in your faith. This audio is property of First Baptist Church, but feel free to give away copies of this message in the hopes that others will be impacted by what they hear. For more information about FBC, or if you want to stay connected with us, visit our website at fbclloyd.ca or look us up on Facebook and Instagram. Thanks, and enjoy the latest from FBC. Good morning, everyone. How are y'all doing? Happy New Year to those of you that I haven't been able to uh, pass that greeting on to as yet. Excited for the New Year. Really excited. Charmin is coming. That is exciting. And thank the Lord for his provision there, just how he's been leading and guiding and directing in that. And so just uh, as we've been praying for this event, now let's just thank him for the way that he has worked. And we're looking forward to her being here and um, uh, helping us launch into this new year ahead and just, uh, again, trying to make ground uh, for God in uh, 2023. And so um, I'm excited about that. We are building on our Christmas uh, series as we start a new series this morning called Fixer Upper. And in this series, we're going to be looking at some of our doctrine. And I recognize this morning that we don't talk about doctrine very much, do we? Doctrine is actually something that we tend to shy away from, I think, uh, oftentimes, and, and for a few different reasons, but some of them are, are just for, uh, by virtue of the fact that we, we don't feel like we're qualified. A lot of times we feel that this is doctrine, well, that's something that we leave to the, the pastors and the professors, somebody out there, they look after that for us. And we think that maybe it's too deep for us, we'll just... We'll just leave it to them and let them handle it. And so um, we think that somehow we're not qualified, maybe. That somehow we're just not adept, and therefore that this isn't something that I need to be concerned about myself. I'll just let them handle it, and I'll just skate along on my own here. And I think that that leads us to problems. I think that that actually leads us into a bunch of problems. For example... I think that we're seeing more and more right now this idea that our faith is personal and it's subjective. And as a result of that, in other words, that we can then build our faith for ourselves. That we can construct it the way that we want it to to work. In whatever way that it works for us, we can be the architects of our own faith. And I have two really basic problems with that. The first one is this. This notion that our faith is subjective and that we can build our own faith according to what works for us. Well, that's what got us into the mess that we're in now. Adam and Eve decided that rather than having to listen to God, that they could make their own path. And as a result of that, we've been dealing with that problem ever since, the problem of sin. And as a result, we're now estranged from God. And this notion that we can continue to do that, that we can continue to build our our faith according to what we think, is taking us down that same road further and further away from God today. Secondly, this idea of building our own faith 
undermines Scripture for us today. Scripture is all about God and His mission to bring us back to Him. That's what Scripture is all about. Not about us building our own path back to Him. It's not about us building the path. It's about the path that He has built for us back to Him. So at a time when we should be paying more heed to Scripture we're actually paying less heed and undermining the very thing that is here to help us as we pursue our own ability to build our faith. And our problems continue to compound as we do that. And herein, I think, lies the very point. We are all, each of us, you and I today, already living according to some doctrine. We have a doctrine and we're living according to it today. So it isn't a case of whether or not we should concern ourselves with doctrine as if doctrine were some sort of impersonal thing external to us, but rather the question is, for you and I this morning, are we living by the right doctrine? Is the doctrine that we are following in our lives correct and true? And therefore, I think that it merits our attention today. So before we dive in and and start to look at this a little bit, let's pray and ask God to come and speak to us. Father, this morning again, we thank you that by your Spirit that you are already here in our midst. And this morning, as we come to this topic, as we begin this idea of a fixer-upper for ourselves in our faith, that you would help us to get our spiritual house in order, as it were. That you would help us to shore up our foundation from any cracks that we might have caused or allowed, that you would help us to seal our faith so that there are not leaks that would undermine us. And so by your Spirit this morning, would you come and would you help us again to examine ourselves anew in what we believe and how we are living. For we ask these things all now in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. All right, so this morning we're going to start with the doctrine of atonement. Love all the nods. None. Well, you know more about this than you think, maybe. We're going to begin with the doctrine of atonement. The Baker Encyclopedia of the Bible defines atonement as the act by which God and man are brought together in personal relationship. Okay, so that's what we're talking about this morning. The act by which God and man are brought together in relationship. And right from the outset, we need to understand this today, that our discussion of the doctrinal areas that we're going to navigate, that we're going to approach in the the course of this series will be severely limited by our time. We're not going to be able to do them an exhaustive justice in, in the 
abbreviated amount of time that we have on a Sunday morning. So we'll only be able to look at them in basic terms. Therefore, as you have questions as we go, if in the event that you have questions, then by all means, come and talk to Bruce. Okay? Is that a deal? All right. Okay. We've got that established. Whenever you have a question, you just come and talk to Bruce. He'll, he will help you. That said, even though we're only going to be able to, uh, to approach these topics in, in very basic terms, that doesn't mean that this time is not well spent this morning. This is still going to be important and beneficial for us, I trust. And I hope that it will even whet some of your appetites, at least, to dig into this a little bit more, to begin to, begin to dive into these topics and explore them just a little bit more because they are so rich as we understand who God is and what he has done for us. And, and it will inspire you to understand that at new depths and in new ways. Because he is so sufficient, he is so good, he is so complete, he is so amazing. So I, I hope that you'll, that you'll take this as an opportunity to be inspired and, and dive in and dig in even more for yourselves. Millard Erickson, a renowned theologian professor, says this about atonement. In the doctrine of atonement, we see perhaps the clearest indication of the organic character of theology. That is, we see that the various doctrines fit together in a cohesive fashion. The position taken on any one of them affects or contributes to the construction of the others. Here, the doctrines of God, humanity, sin, and the person of Christ come together to define the human need and the provision that had to be made for that need. All right, I, I agree wholeheartedly with Erickson in that assessment. In the doctrine of atonement, we see the doctrine of sin, the doctrine of God, the doctrine of humanity, the doctrine of Christ come together in a very cohesive pattern. And as we impact one, as we, as we adjust one, that it will have then implications in all of the other areas, all of those other areas, these, these four areas in particular. And so we have to be cohesive then in our doctrine of atonement in order to keep in balance, to keep in, in mind all of these other areas. And so this morning, what I thought that we would do is try and look at all of these areas. It is, it is very hard to look at just the doctrine of atonement in any meaningful sort of a sense without the context of our beliefs in these other areas, these four areas. So I'm going to try and offer today a basic overview then of our beliefs here. A, 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 a categorical sort of a look, if you will, at what we believe in these areas in order that we can then come to our doctrine of atonement. So, let's get at it. With respect to sin, this morning, 
we believe, first of all, that all have sinned, that each one of us, every one of us, have sinned. We find that, and I'm going to use some scripture this morning. These, this scripture is not exhaustive, but I'm going to try and give you some references that you can go to later if you want to jot them down. If you want to check me on this, uh, what's, what's, the, what's the thing that they call that nowadays? Fact check. That's the one I'm looking for. You can, you can fact check me. This isn't just baiting dreaming this stuff up. You can, we can find this in scripture, okay? That's what I want to establish. These things, don't, it's not again exhaustive, but it's going to give you a reference that we're building this out of Scripture itself. So all have sinned, Romans 3.23. So each one of us is guilty of sin in our lives. There's none of us that can stand today and claim that we have lived a perfect life. That begins our perspective on sin. Number two with respect to sin. We believe that all sin is against God. All sin is against God. Psalm 51, verse 4. Now that doesn't mean that it is only against God. I can sin against you today. You can sin against me today. But it doesn't stop there. As we sin against one another, as we sin in different respects, every last bit of it is first and foremost sin against God. We're going to come back to that in a second as we examine Him, as we examine our theology of God. Third thing that we need to understand then this morning about sin is that the wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death, which is to say the consequence of sin is yours and my death and then separation from God. Find that in Romans 6.23, among other places. Moving on now. With respect to to humanity. As a result of our sin, humanity is corrupt on every level. So humanity is totally corrupt. Our minds have been impacted by sin. Our emotions have been impacted, corrupted by sin. Our will has been corrupted by sin. And even our bodies have been corrupted by sin. Romans 3, verses 9 to 18. Now, this morning, when I say that we've been totally corrupted, that doesn't mean that we sin to the nth degree. I'm not saying that we take sin to the absolute end of the, the spectrum. What I'm saying is that we are totally corrupt in that Every aspect of man has been impacted by sin. There is not a part of us that is pure and good. And that even as we do good things, that they are still unacceptable to God because they are not originating out of our love for Him and our obedience to Him. So even our best, at our best, is still... The scripture says, as filthy rags before God. Carrying on. On account of our sin, we are separated from God. Isaiah 59, verses 1 to 3. Which is to say that there is a barrier today between you and I and God. And we're not born... 
in relationship with Him, that we're born out of relationship with Him, that even as children, some there's a theory that we start off with God and that then we deviate from God as we get older. No, I'm here to tell you this morning that we start off separated from God and until we resolve that problem through Jesus Christ, which we will look at shortly, then we continue to be apart, separated from God, and we will be separated from Him in eternity by virtue of our sin. Thirdly, with respect to humanity, there is nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to solve this problem of sin and our separation from God. There is no way that we can solve this problem on our own. Again, the world is telling us that we can solve it, that we got it, that we can go out there, that we can do enough good, that we can be good enough people, that God's going to look at us and say, yep, nicely done. You, you've made the grade. We hear it at funerals all the time. Johnny was a good guy. Sally was a wonderful lady. Today she's with God. Scripture tells us that that is not the case. There's nothing that we can do in and of ourselves to, to restore our relationship with God. Look at Matthew 19, verses 25 and 26. John 14, verse 6. And Acts 4, verse 12. Now, with respect to God then, first and foremost, we see that God is holy and perfect. Leviticus 19, verse 2, Isaiah 6, verse 3, and 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. God is good and perfect and holy. There is no sin in Him, nor can He sin, because that is against His very nature. As a result of that then, with respect to God, we believe that God's law is derived out of himself and his nature. That as God has outlined his law, as he's given us his mandates, his dictates, his standards, if you will, that they have all come from himself. Therefore, they are good and holy and everything that goes with that. Romans chapter 7, verse 12. So in a sense then, this morning what I'm saying here is that God and His law are synonymous. That as we talk about His law, we're talking about God. That as we talk about God, we're talking about His law. God is as the law, and the law is as God. They are together. They are one. So then, coming back again to sin, but now from God's perspective, if you will, sin, therefore, is first and foremost a violation of God Himself. That's why all sin is a sin against God. It's a sin against Him and who He is. And again, you can go back to Psalm 51, verse 4, and then on from there. And as a result of the fact that then all sin is against God, then we find this, that as such, He cannot tolerate sin. 
Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 13. We are on a biblical survey this morning. We're covering a lot of ground. And we see that it is something that he cannot tolerate because in that then he would be having to violate himself, which he cannot do. He cannot deny himself in order to accommodate sin. So it can't be tolerated by God. Holy God cannot stand sin, which is in itself antithetical to him. Therefore, sin must be punished by God. That it cannot be left unaddressed. That he cannot turn a blind eye. That he cannot sweep it under the rug. And God's penalty for sin is first death and then separation from him in eternity. Again, where the sin and God cannot coexist. Which leads us then this morning to our dilemma, doesn't it? As Barry was talking about, as he introduced that last song, we come to the point as we recognize these things that we see that we're in a dilemma before God. That we're separated from Him because we are sinful. Man is sinful. That God is holy and all sin is against Him and that He cannot tolerate it must then therefore deal with it. And the means that he's chosen that is right for him to deal with it is to say death and eternity from him. Eternity separated from him. And we can't solve this on our own. This is a dilemma. We need then somehow to be rescued. We have to come to that point where we recognize that we have a problem. That we are lost. That we're unable to solve that problem, that we can't find our way out, we can't figure this way, our way out, we can't work our way out of this problem, and we have to be rescued. And interestingly here in Scripture now, we find a tension between a holy God and His holy love for us as people. His creation and His holy justice that demands a consequence to our sin. Stephen Wellham says in his book, Christ Alone, in Scripture, though divine holiness and love are never pitted against each other, a legitimate tension is created in how God will simultaneously demonstrate His holy justice and covenant love. At the intersection of God's holy justice and His divine covenant love, we wait now with bated breath for an answer to our dilemma. Totally dependent on God. Unable to accomplish any solution of our own. 
Which brings us now to Jesus Christ. Our theology of Jesus begins with this, that Jesus is both fully God. See Titus 2, verse 13. And fully human. Romans 1, verses 2 to 4. We don't have time to delve into the significance of that this morning, but that fact is very, very important. We, don't, we won't be able to unpack the whole Trinitarian aspect, if you will, of God and that, and that's, that implication on our atonement today. That's why, I, again, I encourage you, dive into this and see the significance of God and who he is his immensity, his complexity, his sufficiency. But we believe that God, that Jesus is both fully God and fully human. Secondly, we believe that Jesus committed no sin. We see that from 1 John verse three, chapter 3, verse 5. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. And 2 Corinthians 5.21. Now, it starts to get really good. Next, we believe that Christ voluntarily died on the cross in our place, in your place and in mine. That he voluntarily gave his life to pay the penalty of our sin. To pay the penalty that God des- demands on account of sin. That he was the only one that had that change in his pocket to be able to pay that price. And that therefore then he offered himself voluntarily in our place in order to accomplish our atonement. John chapter 10 verses 17 and 18. 1 Peter 2 verse 24. Colossians 2, verse 13 and 14. And with that backdrop then, with the, our beliefs in these four areas, now we can start to look at our doctrine of atonement. And specifically, penal substitutionary, substitutionary atonement which is to say penal in that it was to pay the penalty of sin. Substitutionary in that Jesus took yours and my place. And atoning in that Christ satisfied the price required by God to pay the penalty of sin. That by virtue of His ability that he could then pay that price and atone for yours and my sin today. Atone for you and I. Therefore, this morning, in short, it is through Christ alone that we have been atoned for. Christ alone. 
this morning. It isn't Jesus and my good works. It isn't Jesus and my winsome personality. It is Christ alone that has made atonement for you and I today. Christ alone by which that we can have relationship again with God. It is only in His person, Jesus Himself, and in His work that we can have restored relationship with God. Which is to say, that God, that Jesus, in Himself, was everything that was demanded of humanity. That He fulfilled God's intention for humanity to the T. That He crossed all the T's, that He dotted all the I's, that He lived up exactly to what God had intended for man in His person. And then what's more, that in his work on the cross, in his death and then his resurrection, then he paid the penalty that God demanded for our sin. That demanded of sin, so that a holy God could now be restored to a sinful man by virtue of the atonement through Jesus Christ. The penalty was satisfied in who Jesus is and what he did for you and I today. I said earlier that this series builds on our Christmas series. And it does because it brings us now to the cross. And we see that the cross was in full view for God before Christ arrived here for you and I. And we're going to go back now to Isaiah 53 that points that out for us. Christ's incarnation was huge. His coming as a man into our world to live and experience life like you and I understand it, to to go through life, have been tempted like we are, and to have overcome that, to have accomplished it without ever having delved into sin. That was huge. But Christmas wasn't enough. He came so that he could ultimately not just live that perfect life, but then also die in our place and pay the penalty of our sin. Then be resurrected and overcome it, defeat it, and offer it to you and I as a sufficient payment for our sins, so that as we place our faith in Him, that we can have restored relationship with God. We see that in Isaiah 53, and I would encourage you to go home and read the whole chapter. 
It's all concerning the coming Messiah and what he was about to do. Let me read some excerpts for it, from it, though. Isaiah 53, starting verse 3 to 5. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain. Like one, now this is written hundreds of years before Christ came. And it's pointing us today to exactly who he is and what he, what he did. He pointed before he ever came on the, on the scene. This wasn't written after the fact. This wasn't written in hindsight. This was written ahead of time. God here speaking about his suffering servant that would come to save us. Like one from whom people hid their, hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet he, we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. That was because he was sentenced to death. Cursed, the people thought that he was, because he was going to die on a tree. Find that also in Scripture elsewhere. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. Carrying on, verses 10 and 11. Yet it was the Lord's will, God's will, to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life, that is Christ's life, and a offering for sin, he will see his offspring. Now Jesus, again, will see his offspring. That's you, as I, you and I as we place our faith in him. He will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. From the outset, before creation, before time began, as Bruce aptly laid out for us in the first message of our anticipation series, God had a plan to provide for our atonement, our sin, through his son, Jesus Christ. From the outset, he knew that we were going to violate him that we were going to sin against him and that that was going to cause him to have to enact justice on account of our sin. That there would be a penalty for that sin and he knew that the penalty was going to be death and separation from him. However, he also knew from the very beginning and beyond that, that he was going to accomplish a solution to that problem. That he was going to provide us rescue through Jesus Christ. Wellam now continues in his book about this tension created between God's holy justice and his holy covenantal love for his people. And he says this, In choosing to save us without denying himself, God, through Christ, substituted himself for us. Divine love triumphed over divine wrath by divine sacrifice. The cross was an act simultaneously of punishment and amnesty, severity and grace, justice and mercy, which in my grandfather's words is stupendous. 
As we were talking about this this week, Gord said this, here we see God himself acting justly and loving mercy, just as he called us to, calls us to, like we looked at last week in Micah chapter 6, verse 8. This morning, we celebrate communion, which is taken out of the Last Supper. It's derived out of the Last Supper. And listen here to Christ's words, his own words, at the Last Supper, as we see recorded in Matthew chapter 26, verses 26 to 28. Here Jesus speaks of the work that he is about to accomplish on the cross. says this, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for, so, poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Here, Jesus is referring back to the new covenant that God said that he would establish way back in Jeremiah 31, verses 31 to 34. Again, hundreds of years before Christ arrived. God was pointing us to this point in time when he would send his son to accomplish our atonement in the establishment of a new covenant that would replace the old covenant. This is what he says. This is God speaking. He said, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. I will not be, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant though I was a husband to them declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. In his book, The Cross of Christ, John Stott says this about Christ's claim of his blood being the blood of the new covenant. Stott says, Is it possible to exaggerate the staggering nature of this claim? Here is Jesus' view of his death. It is the divinely appointed sacrifice by which the new covenant, with its promise of forgiveness, will be ratified. He is going to die in order to bring his people into a new covenant relationship with God. And that is why with Paul, we preach Christ and Christ crucified. So as we celebrate communion this morning, 
we celebrate the atonement, the rescue that is ours through Christ. I'm going to ask the servers if they would come forward. You might be here, maybe you haven't participated in communion before. You don't have to be a member of FBC, First Baptist, here to take communion. All that's required is that, first of all, that you have come to that place where you know that you needed to be rescued. And that you have now placed your faith in Jesus Christ for that atonement. For what he's done to solve that dilemma for us. Secondly, then we need to be in proper relationship with one another's, with other believers. Because again, as we talked about last week, our commitment to one another is the same as our commitment to God. We need to see that and understand that in the same terms. When we aren't in relationship with one another, proper relationship with one another, then God takes that as us not being in proper relationship with Him. So it's important that we've done everything that we can to resolve any issues. And until you have done everything that you can, then please don't participate in communion. Get those things remedied, at least to every extent that you can. Once you've done all that you can, then you're free to continue to participate in communion, having done everything. We're going to ask the ushers to distribute the elements. We'd ask that you would take your, uh, just hang on to them until everyone has been able to be Father, served. this morning as we come to Once communion. Once everyone's been served, then I'll pray and then we'll partake. As together. we begin this new year, I would ask that you would impact us afresh with an understanding and an appreciation of what you've done, the atonement that you've provided through your Son, Jesus Christ. Jesus, we thank you for the voluntary offering of your body and your blood as the perfect sacrifice in our place and as payment for our sin. Lord, that you would accomplish a solution to our dilemma through your son, your very own son, yourself, is staggering. Your holiness sacrificed for our corruption. So we say thank you. We are so grateful. And we would ask now, God, that you would help us to live as your people accordingly on account of what he has done, by virtue of what he has accomplished, and in light of what that means for us in a restored relationship with you for eternity. For we ask these things now in Christ's name and for his sake alone. Amen. This is representative of his body, broken for us. The cup is representative of his blood shed for us. This, he says, do 
in remembrance of him and what he's done. Let's partake together. This morning, if this is all new to you and you've got questions, this has just done nothing but beg questions, then please come and talk to one of us as staff. Talk to Bruce. For those of us that have already placed our faith in Christ, then I hope that this morning as we begin this series where we brush up on our doctrine that you are once again reminded of the importance of keeping that central and pure in our hearts and in our minds because of the impact that that has on how we live. With a firm understanding of Jesus Christ and what he has accomplished, we have then a sure foundation on which to stand and build our lives and to withstand the winds that blow against us day in and day out in this world. Yeah, amen is right. Next week, we're going to dive into justification. Don't miss it. And right now, go and enjoy a cronut. Happy New Year.